Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Welcome back to this latest episode of the Rivers Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome my friend, Camteen Mohajer. You know Camteen from the band Teenage Wrist, the Chain Gang of 1974, as well as his newest project, Heavenward. Camteen and I talk about him growing up and his musical influences, as well as the various bands and music he's been involved in over the years. I used to book uh, the Chain Gang of 1974 back in the day, so it was good to reconnect and be able to talk to him. I hadn't talked to him in quite a while, so awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Camteen Mohajer. Cam, my friend, what is up, dude? It has been way too long. How are you, man? Good, good, man. How are you doing? What What is up in your life? Dude, I'm doing well. Yeah, just hanging out at home here in Santa Monica, California. And um, we, it's been like, the, it's been probably like the strangest. I don't think we've even had like a spring here. Mm. And like the sun's not out. The sun hasn't been out forever. Mm. There's zero surf. It's It's like a weird it's a weird time right now in Southern California and I, we're all kind of losing our minds a little bit, but like, this is, this is odd for us where it's like 67 degrees and like the sun's not out. So yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. What are you doing? What are you doing work-wise out there? And uh, what brought you out to LA in the first place? Uh, dude, I moved here in 2000. When did I move here? I moved here in 2011, the very beginning, actually January 4th of 2011. Remember that day? Um, yeah, I signed my first record deal and I think I got like a $5,000 advance. And I was like, let's, I'm moving to LA. I got money <laughs> and I'm going to see how long I can make this last. And yeah, 
12 years later. I'm cool. somehow, somehow still hanging on to that five grand that I got, you know, that's still, amazing. Good for you. I'm down to the last thousand bucks. I got to figure out how to, <laughs> but, um, well, it's a platinum record. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe one day. Um, but yeah, dude, just, uh, yeah, here in LA and shit and, uh, what did you ask me? What do I do? What do you ask? Yeah, what do you do? Uh, I mean, are you just doing music full time or? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I still make music and I, it still definitely does, um, you know, take up time. Um, as far as I think like kind of like the, the typical responsibilities of a musician as sure. far as you know, touring and, and having a team behind you and doing that kind of stuff, like I... I over the last few years, I kind of realized, I think, like, what um, what kind of works for what I'm doing and what doesn't work. And, yeah, I think it was, it was like, a big goal of mine just to kind of, like, start focusing and honing in on, like, aspects that kind of work for me, I guess, personally and, like, emotionally and mentally because there's so much that goes on you know, with this kind of, I'm not, with this type of career. Um, And it took me a while to kind of start to realize like, yeah, I don't like a lot of this kind of stuff and it leaves me in a pretty bad place. Um, So that was kind of a long answer, but yeah, I still make music. Obviously it was why we're here. We're going to talk about all that shit. Um, Over the last few years though, I have moved more towards um, creative work for bands and artists. So like branding, graphic design. Yeah. um, creative direction, that kind of stuff, which has been a super fun three years. I'm still learning a lot and, you know, growing at this and learning something new every single day, but it's been, um, I feel like I kind of fast tracked these the first three years and it's been a pretty cool experience so far and been able to work with a lot of really cool bands and artists. That's awesome. Yeah. Now that you say that, I remember you posting stuff. I think you have an incredible visual um lens you know it's cool exactly. that you can use your art in a different way and it's benefiting not only yourself but the bands that you're working with so it's it's really awesome no it's yeah it's super fun I've, I've always kind of like i've always taken that stuff pretty seriously i think and um sometimes too seriously i think like i kind of fall in the trap in times where i i like just i get too heady about aesthetic and visuals and this and that and most times i probably just got to be having a good time and having fun yeah uh, but there is a beauty to it. There's something really striking about an artist and or a band who can, I think, kind of really figure out what their universe is and then be able to package that and like present it to the world. There's something absolutely fun about that. And you need, you know, you need people, for lack of a better term, like me to help facilitate some of that stuff. So it's it's fun and it keeps me it keeps me in and involved with music, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's really cool. Where are you gonna be again? I'm well. I was I was about to talk about how we met in the first place, but I was in Wichita, Kansas. But now I'm yeah. in Jackson, Jacksonville, Florida. So that's originally where I had had lived previously to Wichita. And that's why I started booking shows because I was bored. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. I want to have you know bands and not drive three hours for shows. But um, that brings me to my next point. I was going to say when you and I met, and um, we were just talking briefly. But it's like I want to say it was 2006, maybe 2007. Maybe yeah, when I booked Chain Gang, it was, it, had, it was early on Chain Gang, I would assume. Yeah, no, it was 2006 or seven for sure. And I, I, I specifically remember the agent being like, because I was booking Breathe Carolina, and I, I think Axe and a, 
uh, who? Yeah, it's funny because I don't. Well, did they, they specifically asked for you to play. That's why I remember it. Like they the, were like uh, breathe Carolina. Or yeah. Breathe, breathe Carolina did they, cause I remember specifically they were like, we, I remember I added you last minute and they were like, they, they want this band to, or this artist to open. I specifically remember, I don't know why, but I do. Where, where was, where was the show? Like Eagles Lodge in Wichita, Kansas is this little VFW hall. And yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's all now. It's all, I, I remember the entrance, the way the room, yep. I remember it all. Yeah. 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 And so I, and I want to say, I booked you another time after that, but I'm not hundred percent, but either way, I know we clicked that night and it was cool and it was, everything oh, was yeah, awesome. Man. And Dude, those uh, were fun times. Yeah. Those were, you know, breathe Carolina must have ran. It's funny because I don't think I ever toured with them. I think what it was is the, so the acts that chopped the cherry tree for anyone who's like watching this or listens to this, like this was like a, you know, the 2005 to seven era of, of, like scene music for lack of a better term and a lot of MySpace shit. And um, yeah, the Axe was a local band in Colorado and so was Chain Gang. And we just all became good buddies and would go on the road and tour. It was great because like back then Chain Gang was just, it was just me on, you know, yeah. on stage or on the floor. So, yep. you know, we were lucky to get stages back then. Um, but yeah, it was just me, a bass guitar and an iPod. And that was it. So I just hop in the van with like the axe or like any band that would go on tour. They're like, I'm like, yeah, I was all. And when we go on tour, we met like, you know, we were gone for maybe five or six days. Like a long tour back then was like a week and a half. Um, but it, yeah, dude, it was so, we were so green. So all these, those moments were so much fun. Getting to like, meet people like you and just like being in these random ass places like Wichita, Kansas, like places I never imagined ever just like going to. I never thought about going to those places, yeah. but yeah, ended up there, you know. That's so cool. I love. I just have fond memories of that time. Um, and there's certain groups that I just always clicked with, or always had like just good shows. And it was just like I, I just specifically remembered you and and remembered that show. And it was just I don't know. I've always kind of. And then kind of when I found out later on that you were in uh, Teenage Wrist, I was flipping out. I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. Like that's, that's so, so funny, cool, dude. So, wow. Yeah, man. Small world. Small yeah, world. small ass world for sure. Sweet, man. Well, Cam, tell me, um, growing up for you, let's talk about kind of how music invaded your life. Um, maybe some of the influences, the bands, the records that kind of just uh, hit you in the heart, man, and, and kind of put you on the path that you're on. Man. Well, I'm 37 now, so there there have been some years. Um, but I kind of always knew as a kid, like I, music was just a – it was a super important thing for me. I kind of just understood it initially. And I didn't necessarily come from a musical family. Um, my parents are from Iran, but they were both musically inclined. My mom had a, has like a beautiful voice when it comes to like traditional Persian chanting and stuff like that. But, it, you know, I've, t I've talked about this just with like random conversations. You know, I feel like um, a lot of kids who have like, you know, come from like westernized culture growing up, it's like, you know, they had parents with Beatles records or Led Zeppelin records and like, you know, the, whatever, the list goes on. Like, I, we didn't have that. I have three brothers. Um, so it was four boys in the family. Like, we didn't have those opportunities. You know, my parents were like basically just listening to like traditional Persian music. Um, wow. So for us, it was like, we obviously don't fuck with any of this. So like, what do we like? You know, how do we figure out what we like? And um 
But yeah, fortunate enough to be a little kid during the era where MTV played good music videos, actually played music videos and the radio was, you know, still playing good music and was something pretty important. Um, I think for influencing younger generations. Um, but yeah, we kind of took it upon ourselves to really like figure out what it is that we like. And like, I think, you know, wanted to be fans of. Um, so we spent a lot of time to kind of just with the radio on or like MTV on, um, and we would just kind of sit and play video games, but like have the TV muted and just have the radio on, like we'd listen to like the alternative rock station. Um, that I grew up in Hawaii. Um, and there was a, there was a alternative, a good alternative rock station. I think I'm one of the other islands, but we were able to get the broadcast where we were because the islands are all so close together. Sure. So we were able to get them, but yeah, so we were lucky enough to have that and like just basically spent time just listening to music and involving that in so many of our other activities as well. Um, so yeah, that was pretty awesome. I'm pretty grateful for that too. And, um, that just kind of continued on. And, and it, at age 13, we moved to Denver, Colorado, like the suburbs of Denver. Um, and that's kind of where everything really started picking up for me because you're, you know, you're now like on the mainland, you're surrounded by, you have CD stores, you have, you know, I, I was actually talking to my brother about this. I was in Colorado last week and he's still there. And like, you know, seeing like a Spencer's for the first time ever and like, we we grew up loving like WWF, which is not WWE or yeah, whatever. But like, same here. You know, like uh, you couldn't get the wrestling T-shirts in Hawaii, um, so like you have to get them mailed to you, and it was it would cost a lot of money. So like I remember just like walking into like a Hot Topic or a Spencer's or whatever, and like seeing like a Stone Cold shirt, we were just like, <laughs> we've, like, we've made it. I have this here, like you know, <laughs> those little simple pleasures. Um, but yeah, so we were lucky enough to kind of just like, I think dive in head first now that we had a lot of this stuff in front of us. And that yeah. was like, you know, understanding like, oh, I can go buy this. I saw something on MTV, I can write it down and then go to the record store, go buy it. Like yeah. go talk to other people at the record store, go talk to the people who work at the record store. And you start to kind of put all these pieces together. And then that now turns you into someone like me who's 37 and has way too many records in the living room and I keep buying them and can't stop. So. I know I'm the same way, man. I, I should, I, I definitely have an addiction. <laughs> what's, your, what's your collection at? Number uh, one, it's actually, at, uh, I'll, actually I'm going to look because I, I don't know. I just bought, I just added two new ones. Um, it is at 483, which isn't a ton, but for me it's, you know, it's enough. That's good. That's good. Enough. I, I base it off of, is it enough to make moving a living hell? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. it is, yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I've been doing like a, um, it's been going on for years and obviously I haven't done it every day because I'm still doing it and I've continued to buy records. But I've, on my Instagram, I just like, I made a point to essentially go from A to Z and yeah. put it on and listen to the album, you know, because I'm like, there's so many records in here I probably have just th forgot about over the last Exactly. I, I took every record out, took a picture, logged it, like, did the whole thing, but I've bought so many records as well, you know, during this process. But I think I'm approaching on like the Instagram, um, post story, whatever the fuck it, you want to call it. I'm approaching 800. Holy so, crap. And I still have my 10 inches and seven inches to, to yeah, me too. so yeah, I think including those 
probably pushing 850. So I'm, I'm, I think in the next, and like, yeah, I have like three records that are arriving today. So like, it's like Christmas day. (laughs) It's bad, man. So (laughs) it's a good, it's a good addiction, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're supporting bands and you're getting to see cool tunes and cool acts and all that stuff. I actually, um, Friends of mine uh, down here in Jacksonville, they opened a, a, a record press, and I worked with them for a year and a half or oh, so, nice. pressing records. It's called Vinyl Record Pressing, ironically. It's VRP. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool to see kind of how the process was and and be a part of that. I helped them kind of start the business and open it up. We, I remember cleaning out the, the factory to get it ready and you know all that thing. So I was there at the beginning and so um, cool. had to wind up getting a, a different job financially, you know, just because it wasn't paying the bills, but it was mm-hmm. it's just really cool. It's a it's a different perspective um on, you know, just kind of how the whole process works. And it, yeah, it was really cool to kind of be a part of that. So dude, that's so sick. Yeah, man. It, it's really it really is cool. I, and yeah, man, I'll send you the link to for that website. You should check it out. It's cool. They've Please do. pressed some cool stuff and it's just it's just awesome to kind of like I said, just see the other side of things and you know, yeah. see where it begins, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about, um, and I know you and I probably have super similar tastes in music, but I'm just curious, some of your favorite records, um, you know, I, I see a Swerve Driver, uh, in the background and, uh, yeah, fantastic yeah. record, Swerve fantastic Driver, band. Yeah, yeah the wheel. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, tell me some of, some of the you know, records it, that you need on it, that island. It, like, bounces, it's kind of, you know, it's everywhere, but it's not everywhere in a sense, like you know, we know each other to a degree where you know that like, you know, I grew up in like loving, like, you know, punk, emo, the post-hardcore world, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, you know, primarily what, where I came from, I guess. Um, But you have to, you know, I can't forget about all the other things that kind of came with like growing up where like, you know, 311 was like my favorite band as a kid. When I was like eight years old, I was just obsessed with 311 for years. you know, Dave Matthews Band was the first, Dave Matthews Band's Crash was the first album I ever bought, you know? Wow. And Oasis, I think, was the first band I ever understood what it was like being a fan of, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a CNN special about the success of Wonderwall, and I was with all my brothers, and my dad would always make us watch, you know, hang out with him when he got home from work, and he would watch CNN, so we'd usually just be sitting there bored out of our fucking minds. Yeah. Um, but this one faith, faithful day, yeah, he uh, he was watching, making us watch CNN, and they had this special on Wonderwall, and we found love. We're like, holy, holy crap! Like we love this shit. Like this is awesome. So yeah, there's you know those like early moments of all of it, um, and then when I moved to Colorado, I was exposed to so much more, and that's kind of I think primarily where like the real, the real love for like discovering punk bands and hardcore bands and doing all that kind of stuff um, came from. So a lot of my favorite records, there are, you know, there are records from that world and then there are records from the world behind me, you know, like the sewer yep. drivers and like all that. But um, just off the top of my head, some of my favorite records of all time, um, maybe you've been brainwashed too by the new radicals. I think Great that's record. like the greatest pop rock album ever made. And most Fantastic. people don't ever give that record a chance. They only know, you know, the hit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that album to me is truly incredible. Um, trying to think of like some kind of like some of the early like emo shit. Um, I mean, Snapcase's progression through and learning is like my favorite Great record. record. Great record. Um, man, what else? Like put put me on the Put spot. you on the spot, bro. 
Uh, Why don't you look at your record? I mean, world clarity. I mean, yeah, clarity phenomenal. is one of the greatest. Game changer. Game changer. Ever. Yeah, game changer. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think like more of the emo shit, like that that kind of stuff. Did you ever like? Um, um, well, you were in Denver. Did you like Christy Front Drive or like? Yeah, uh, Christy Front Drive. Or Metal. I'm a huge like fanboy of them. I have I have one of their records on vinyl, but um, yeah, trying get to get up, kids. Play. Back in the day, yeah, get up, kids. Of course, yeah. You know, I, I'll never forget. You know, hearing uh, something read home about in high school, and yep. just like seeing how they dressed. That was actually funny. I remember seeing. I, I discovered at the drive-in, and I saw a photo of them. And back before then, I was just wearing like baggy dickies, you know, yeah. the yeah. link way to pop punk look. And then I saw a picture about the drive-in. I was like, holy crap! Like, yeah, what's happening here? So I made my mom take me to the mall uh and i got at the time we're like skinny jeans and uh went to hot top and got a get a kids t-shirt and i was like came back there you go. the next day and i was like 16 and felt so <laughs> fucking cool I bet. Like, it was like 2001 or two something like that i just felt very out of place but also very fucking cool yeah that's awesome. awesome that's right um, but yeah and then you know there's a lot of other stuff just you know bends by radiohead you know yep. uh, amazing uh adam and eve by Catherine real you can say chrome for men but adam and eve is like one of my yeah, favorite records fantastic all had by swerve driver uh storm in heaven by the verve great um i mean the list goes on There's, yeah yeah there, there are a lot of timeless records so absolutely and it obviously influences your music because i hear all those influences in teenage wrist as is in heavenward as in uh changing of 1974 so it's uh oh. So anyway, awesome. First band. Let's talk about maybe kind of you, obviously you're influenced by music at that time and these records and these times in Denver and Hawaii and all and what you've talked about. So what, what are some of the first bands that you kind of started? To, was it in high school and kind of what, what were we looking at? First bands that I was in? Yes. OK, so first bands. Oh, man, there's a. Let me see if I can. Let's see if this works. I've got so the very first bands I was in was was it so the first time I ever so I got my first I got my bass guitar when I was 16 and there was a kid in Littleton Colorado his name was Fred Bear we never had a band but he was like really he was like one of those kind of odd stories He's like a really young kid but like was really good at guitar so yeah he was like obsessed with green day and all that kind of stuff so his, his mom would pick me up and just take me to his house and we would just like play green day songs together yeah which was yeah. kind of cool um and then i think my for the first like band i was in was what were we called oh, uh we were called long time coming i nice. think we god dude i was i was 16 i think when this happened um I have a video of our of our one and only show we ever played, and I wanted to like put it up on this. You should, dude. I can show it to you, but I it's like I'm gonna have to go through my phone. I don't want to be. What? That uh, where did you guys play at in Denver? So we played. So we played one show. It it was with my good buddy, still one of my best friends. He lives a mile away. His name's Andrew. Um, we played at a music shop called Crescendo Music in Littleton, Colorado. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really even remember what we sounded like, what we were doing, but I have a, the the video. I'm wearing a Get Up Kids t-shirt. He's wearing a No Motive t-shirt. Oh, I found it. He's wearing a No Motive t-shirt. 
Uh, let's see if this works. Hold on. See if I can, I'm gonna have to like put it up towards the camera. So if you're listening to this and not watching this podcast, <laughs> then it's not gonna make much sense, but so let's see. <laughs> so that's amazing. Base in the green. That's so cool. That's so funny. Yeah, so that was the first ever. It's, I'm glad I have that video clip. That's um, hysterical. That was the first band, I think it lasted a month. I don't know, you know, your typical yeah, band as a teenager. Totally. And then um, started another, after that started uh, another like pop punky band called The Ending Ever After. Mm. Um, and uh, we played we played two shows. We played one show um and like kids went off like that's first, awesome i don't know if my memory served me well but like i'm pretty sure there were like 300 kids there in this tiny little space somewhere in like denver and um yeah it was like it was amazing it was just like super fun and so rad so like we then played a second show and this i gotta tell this story just because it was so fucking stupid of me but I'm coming off the high of this first gig. I'm like, dude, we absolutely crushed it. Like, the, and like, you know, we were trying to, and this is at the time when like drive through was a really, really big thing. Sure. So, um, you know, every band, like Starline, early November, they all had acoustic songs. Everyone had the acoustic song, you know, the acoustic <laughs> UT or something. So I don't know, to this day, I still can't really play guitar that well. Like I'm not a good guitar player. Yeah. Um, but I took it upon myself to think it was a really great idea to in the, so this is their second show. It's packed. We're, 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 you know, a bunch of local bands. We're like the first of seven bands or something. And um, there's probably like a good 200 kids in the crowd. And I took it upon myself to think it was a good idea to unbeknownst to the bands, basically just go into the microphone and be like, I got an acoustic, I got here, here's a new song. And I turned, and my younger brother was a drummer and this kid, Jake, was a guitar player. And I just turned, I turned around to them. I had the fucking audacity to do this and be like, get, like, get off the stage. Like I'm singing this song. <laughs> and they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is how insane I was. I didn't even have the song written. So I essentially had this acoustic guitar and just fully improvised up on stage with no, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me. So this thing, it's probably going on for a minute and a half, two minutes, not making any sense whatsoever. And out of nowhere, someone just throws, um, you know, those like little plastic dinosaur toys. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you would get through like those little coin machines. Yeah. Someone just chucked one of those and just mid song just hits me right in the fucking face and just totally takes, you know, takes me by surprise. <laughs> I wrap the song up. The rest of the set's a full disaster. The second we're done, we're walking off stage. My brother looks at me. He's just like, what the fuck just happened? He's like, I quit this band. And oh, he quit man. right there on the spot. And that was it. It was over. It never, it never continued. So, man, small, uh, small kids. Yeah, so if, if you're starting a band out there, don't do what I did. <laughs> that's um, amazing. That's but, hysterical. Yeah, after that, that's when it kind of like, you know, that, I was age 16 or something like that. And then... Obviously, you didn't play music for a little while. And then um, when I thought I was like 19, that's when I kind of started playing a bit more seriously. And um, yeah, I was in this, I was a drummer in a band called Declamern. Uh, we were based, we were like a Denver band. One of my brothers was in it again, these two other brothers. And we were just basically kind of trying to be like pavement. So nice. that was 
first time I was in like a band where I thought like we were, you know, this, this was early 2000s. So it was like the strokes were just coming out. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And we were just really, you know, focusing on that whole thing. And, you know, first time I ever got an email from a record label or like we were sending out, you know, CDs to CD demos to majors and like got an email back. It's like, Oh, Matt Pinfield thinks this is really cool. That's like, rad, dude. Oh, like we're going to make it. And then, you know, break up. And then, um, yeah, after that started another band called the vanity, which you can find that on Spotify. The, my brother, oh, okay. my brother ended up just like uploading all the music to Spotify. Um, so that, that was like the real first time it was like, okay, like I'm dropping out of college. We're going to try and do this. That was the whole yeah. thing. It lasted maybe two and a half, three years. And you know, we got, we got a record deal offer. We did the whole major label showcase in New York. We did it all. And it was very awesome. Very cool. Great learning experience. But when that disbanded, um, we had spent a little bit of money on some recording gear at home. Um, and that's when Chain Gang started. So okay, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Um, yeah, Chain Gang. Um, obviously, you know, were you just kind of I want to do my own solo thing? Is it kind of I, how did that kind of materialize? And maybe start talk about the beginning of, of that. Well, it was just well, it was because so um, we made a deal with my so the band was myself, two of my brothers, and our friend. So my parents essentially were like, "You guys can take six months off of college." and go after this potential record deal because the label is showing interest. But if it doesn't happen, you have to go back to college. So one thing leads to another, the band disbands. My two brothers go back to college and I, I essentially was just like, hey, I can't, I'm not, I can't do that. Like I gotta keep, Pushing. I've made it this far. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'd be throwing a lot away if I don't go after this. So um, we'd invested in some gear and I just basically was sitting at home. I was like, I, you know, I was living with my parents, but I was working a job and doing my thing. And um, I was like, free time would just open up Pro Tools and l teach myself how to record and yeah. like produce my own music. And it it kind of goes hand in hand with like not primarily being a great guitar player. I've gotten better over time, but especially back then I couldn't do anything. I was only a bass player. So I was just like, well, what can I really do here? And I was listening to a lot of Death of Above 1979, The Rapture. This is 2006, 2007. So this is the big wave of uh, electronica, sure. you know, electro yeah. music. And Justice was was doing their thing and taking over the world with a cross record and all that kind of shit. So um, I thought, I was like, well, I can essentially just create these beats and write bass lines and just distort the fuck out of them and then next thing you know you have this very gritty kind of punk rock scene adjacent but not seen it. it it was very weird and hard to explain still to this day kind of like really figure out what the hell that early early chain gang was because it was yeah. just very weird and unique um and yeah that's kind of how it started and then it just kept evolving and Next thing you know, we're in Wichita, Kansas, and I'm still, <laughs> you know, still doing it that way. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of kept growing and evolving from that moment where I realized it didn't have to be so restricted to that specific kind of like aggressive borderline, like party music kind of thing. I'm like, well, I really want to kind of write songs. I want to, I, I think I know how to write a song. I want to yeah. do that instead of just like compiling parts and making it more about a vibe. Um, so as I think I started discovering that part of my brain, it went 
I had to kind of figure out how to, how am I going to, how do I expand this? How do I turn this into something? So I could then got a drummer and then I then got a guitar player and then another guitar player. And then next thing you know, it's a four piece live band. And I'm now taking a lot of influences from like a lot of the, you know, eighties new romantic shit that I love. Like, yeah. you know, at the time it was a lot of, it's it's funny because it went from the party stuff, then it kind of became a bit more of a developed party sound vibe. I guess yeah. it's like you know very LCD sound system, uh, yeah. early talking heads, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then from there, just kept kind of evolving and growing more into like a um, kind of more wearing like my Echo and Bu- Echo and the Bunnymen love on my sure. sleeves, and like the Smiths, Morrissey. Um, you know, just a lot, lot like, you know, like the deep cuts of simple minds and, um, yeah. combat angels, like that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, man, that's yeah. cool. That's very cool. Um, so how long after you started the band, did you start to write, uh, maybe your first record? Was it white guts? Is that the first one? White guts was the first like album. Yeah. And that's, uh-huh. that, that record essentially got me signed. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Talk about maybe that record and kind of what the, maybe, maybe the labels that kind of looked at, and you, you wound up going with Warner, right? I think, is that what it was? Yeah. ended up, so that, so for a few years I was collaborating with my buddy, Isom Innes. He's now, he's been in foster with people for years. Oh, cool. He was, he was from Colorado Springs. Um, and he was, so he was part of that kind of like local Colorado scene. Um, he was in a band called Madden Isom, like super cool band. And they were like one of the only kids really kind of, you know, it was so funny. I remember like seeing live footage of them before I got to meet them and like they had a laptop on stage. And to me, I was just like, whoa, like, yeah, these kids are fucking around with like laptops on stage. Like, this is a big deal. You know, we were, we were young. We didn't understand like how a lot of the stuff worked. Um, so we became buddies and we started just working on music together. And along with that, I was also working with this guy named Christoph Eagleton, who uh, now primarily just doing sound design, but was a great producer and songwriter as well. Mm-hmm. And the only person in Denver at that time who was really kind of doing that, that kind of production. So um, a lot of White Guts was my work with Christoph, where it was this very electro-focused, you know, seven-minute songs that would just go into drum breaks. And it was pretty weird and odd and unique, but... Oddly enough, that music to this day, those songs specifically still, aside from Sleepwalking, had the most success when it came to sync and placement. You know, a lot That's of cool. those early songs ended up, you know, one of them ended up in, in the movie Scream 4. Wow. Uh, one ended up in a T-Mobile commercial. One ended up in a Verizon commercial. One ended up in some up AT&T. I don't know. It was very weird and odd how a lot those songs had a kind of a time and place. Uh, sure. But as that was like the tail end of that focus, I think for me, from like a creative standpoint. So then, then Iceman and I started working together. So you then had this uh, white guts was this kind of like blend of, you could tell I was moving on to other sounds. Sure. Um, so yeah, I put the record out just on my own. I, I think, you know, my parents helped me make some CDs and just had some friends help me with the design and, um yeah put it out and that ended up getting the attention of this of this guy who was still a really good buddy of mine kevin kusatsu he was over at warner brothers at the time and he just emailed me one day randomly you know i'll I'll never forget it was like you know it's such a special moment when you get your first real like email from a label so 
you know, the emails like, Hey, I'm Kevin from, from Warner, uh, got a hold of your record. Can we jump on a call? Like, yeah, man, please. Like what's up? So if he was so, and that's kind of his personality, he's very direct and to the point, and I love him for that. Um, yeah. Probably equally hate him for that, too. But, <laughs> sure. um, yeah, he called me one day, and so I, at this time, at this point, I was already, there's a, there's a bit that kind of goes on, you know, there's all the, there's kind of like some touring that happened, sure. obviously, sure. I met you, everything goes on, I then... You know, my relationship with 303 really blossomed prior to this as well. I was playing, supporting them at a lot of local shows when they were kind of really, you know, uh, exploding around that Colorado yeah. scene yeah. and playing legitimately large venues. Um, so I, at the time, I, they asked me to, they were asking me to like start playing bass um, for that, for their live show because they went from being just a two piece live band to kind of be, actually yeah. having a, a totally backing band um and so yeah a lot of stuff happens whatever kevin hits me up he's like he calls me he's like i love what you made i think it's great i want to sign you or he's like i want to come to colorado i see you're you're opening for 303 in colorado springs and i was like yeah i'm opening for them and also getting on stage right after to play bass he's like cool i'm flying out so he flew out i don't think he realized that uh, DIA, the Denver International Airport, is in butt fuck nowhere. Yeah. So like, you have to drive, especially to Colorado Springs, to get an hour and a half. Probably. Oh yeah, with so, no traffic. <laughs> yeah. So he misses the chain gang set, but still comes. We end up directly driving back to Denver. We sat at this place called Denver Diner, which I don't know if it's still a thing, but he just straight up told me, he's like, I want to sign you. He's like, I want to. This is how I want to do it. We're signing Warner Brothers, put it out through a label called Modern Art Records, and then we'll see what happens. You know, yeah. so essentially it was like a potential upstream deal with yeah. Warner. Um, and yeah, so then from there, it kind of was like, okay, cool, time to make time to make the album. And at that point, I was already pretty much done with wanting to kind of like focus on that heavy electro sound. Yeah, and primarily just kind of want to work on like. You know, I think I can write songs. I can write better songs. Let me continue doing that. So um, I took half of what was on White Guts and then wrote another half of a record and compiled that to make the official debut album, which is titled Wayward Fire. And that, yeah. that was released on Modern Art Records. And if you want to say Slash Warner, but it was primarily Modern Art Records. Yeah. So talk, let's talk about that record a little. Kind of maybe tell me how that recording process went for you maybe and you know obviously you've got a little bit bigger budget i assume um with the other no, or, no, or did zero, oh you did zero it. Budget. Okay. No, it so, funny. Like, um yeah i mean i still think so my our my old buddy mike kaminsky um manager he, you know manager extraordinaire but he had a house in silver lake and i some I had just moved to LA prior and I was planning on moving to LA. So he was staying in Mike Kaminsky's, he has this little back house and this back house has kind of become infamous because a lot of people have like lived in this back house for two months and then leave and they come back and it's just like this, this thing. So um, yeah, I basically just went to LA for, I don't know, a week and a half or something like that and just I mean, you can't see the full size of my office, but like this room was essentially like a size of an office. And we just worked and just wrote and recorded songs in there. And that was it. It wasn't, it was all program drums. Everything was just done directly in the box, no amps. 
And yeah, that's kind of basically how I wrote half the record to then deliver to modern art. So uh, yeah, zero fucking budget, man. No budget <laughs> at all. The budget was 5,000 bucks, but I think just like went in my pocket. Yeah. And I, just, I ended up moving to LA. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's pretty, pretty wild. But um, yeah, so then that was, that was like the first real taste of everything. And it was a pretty incredible moment. Like, you know, that, that, that record got a lot of, uh, a lot of syncs, a lot of placements. People, it was kind of like a, in a way, a press darling record just as far as coverage goes, you know, like yeah. Pitchfork reviewed it. Spin Magazine was like, you know, putting me in everything. And you had, those were really, really cool moments because that was like the first totally. thing that ever happened. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, did I was super to, grateful. Did you get to get on some like cool tours after that? Or was it yeah, like... Yeah, we did a lot of touring, man. We did a lot of touring, a lot of festivals on that tour. So I remember we did this one-off show on a, uh, in New York City at Governor's Island with like uh, Caribou and Fanagram. Wow. Uh, we toured with Washed Out. We toured with Fossils of People. We toured with The Naked and Famous. Dang, um, Big Audio Dynamite, which was fucking awesome. So, I mean, got to tour with Mick Jones at The Clash. So that was like... You know, Unbelievable, incredible. man. That's um, cool. Who else did we tour with? Um, yeah, th- there were a few more bands. We played Lollapalooza. We, you know, we, yeah, there was a lot of really cool stuff that happened. So, got in, yeah, like songs were in like a bunch of FIFA games and all that shit. It was so it was cool, very man. Fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, how do you feel about that record looking back? I still, I still enjoy that record. I do. Obviously, there are cringe moments, you know, sure. like I would never do anything like that again. Yeah, um, but no, it's a special. It's, I think it's a special record. It's crazy, you know. It's been over ten years since that album came out, and um, like the Chain Gang fan base still really kind of like relates to that record, and they're still very stoked on that album. Uh, cool. And it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about how to write songs, how to approach songs, how to approach this industry, and like starting to really see the. You know, that was really the first taste of me seeing like the ugly side of what mm. this industry has and everything and it was just yeah sure so um yeah but it was a fun cycle man it was a, it was a, I had some really really good memories from that time that's awesome um the next record daydream forever was did you get upstream essentially or uh yeah, yeah. kind of how did that pro- process work yeah so you know we ended the wayward fire cycle and um i like kind of really dove in like head first into this you know, kind of heartbroken. And I, I was going through a lot of shit in my life at the time. Sure. Like, I was in this really awful relationship with this really terrible person, which, you know, I mean, bless her. Without her, none of those songs would have been written. And, like, you know, <laughs> the songs that had come later that, like, were my biggest songs wouldn't have ever happened. So, like, in a way, like, thanks to her. But, like, um, yeah, it was just a really, really weird time. So I think I was trying to, like, um become this brooding kind of super depressed person and i started writing these songs that just were pretty bad and i was singing very poorly as well Mm. so if you notice with earlier chain gang stuff i'm primarily using my baritone like i do have a lower range voice if i sing i can really focus on that but it, it I can't say it wasn't natural, but it wasn't naturally where I would go. Like, yeah, I could still do it, and it still, I think, worked, but um, it wasn't my 100% natural voice. So I 
was really diving into that for these batch of demos that I was uh, working on to then present to Kevin at Warner Brothers for the hopeful upstream set. Sure. I walk into his office, super cocky, and I'm just like, check this <laughs> shit out, man. Like, you know. And he like stopped it after a couple songs, was just like, basically, like, this shit sucks. Ooh. Like, Ooh. Brutal. I was like, what are you talking about? And he just looked at me, he's like, look, dude, I know you're capable of more. This isn't you. Like, go back to the drawing board. So um, I was pissed at first, but then I really started to kind of hear what he said. And then I ended up writing um, the song Lolo Suzanne, which ended up on Dating Forever. And then I had a random session one day with my good buddy, Rami, who's a great songwriter. And then two old school pop punk dudes who I grew up loving, Ryan Ogren from the band Don't Look Down and Nick Bailey from the band Over It. Uh, I love both those bands. It's still, like, Timing is Everything by Over It is still, like, my favorite. Like, mm. I guess you can classify as a pop punk record, but it's, like, just super, it sounds like a Nitro Records album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, but, yeah, I had a random session with them, and, and that session ended up being us riding Sleepwalking in, like, five hours. Wow. And I then presented that to Kevin, and he listened to them both, and he looked at me, he's like, you're on Warner Brothers. You just got upstream. So I was like, dude, oh, fuck that's yeah. sick. So that was really cool. It was a really cool moment. And we, uh, yeah, that's, the, and the rest is history. So um, we, in that moment, we were then trying to figure out how, how do we make the album? What do we do? And I was still kind of like in the demo, demo stage, uh, but had started, I had maybe had like two or three songs and um you have to fast forward or rewind back to 2011 during the Wayward Fire cycle when we were playing Lollapalooza. We were at a party the day before our set and I just got a tap on the shoulder and I thought, you know, at the time my very egotistical ass was like, oh, because so he was like, oh, are you chain gang? And I just thought he was like a fan or something, um, which I guess he was a fan, but I thought he was just like, oh, hey, what's up? But he's like, hey, man, I, I work at Rockstar Games. So I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, we really love your band. Like, we're working on something. I can't tell you what it is, but I'd love to be in touch and keep in touch. Wow. I was like, cool. Yeah, sounds good. So he gave me his business card, and thank God, I handed it off to my manager. I was like, dude, someone from Rockstar Games, just, me, just take it. And I, like, went off and kept partying and doing my thing. Yeah. And um, so then you, you then fast forward back to, um, you know, a few years later, and um, – Isom and I, Warner, Warner Brothers originally brought the idea of like taking me to the UK to work on the album and like ride out there with people and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just started surfing and it was just this really special thing in my life. I knew sure. essentially the first time I, I, I surfed, I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So um, I was like, selfishly, it was like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave California because like I'm surfing every single morning. It's, it's, you're enjoying it. You're enjoying the way. Yeah. I can't do this. So I was like, but how about this? How about you trust Iceman and I will self-produce the record. We'll, and we'll make it ourselves. Just give us some money and let us move to a house in Malibu. So they're like, what can you find? So I found this house for $7,500 for, for four weeks. Oh, wow. Which, 
you know, in comparison to making an album is very cheap. And yeah. it was up, up, um, up in the canyons, maybe 10 minutes from the, from PCH, this beautiful four bedroom house with a vineyard in the back mountain cliff. And they were like, okay, cool. So the only thing we rented, we had all, Isom thankfully had all his gear, but the only thing we rented was an upright piano and a microphone, like a better microphone for vocals. And we just moved to Malibu for four weeks and there's him and I in a big house, man. It was, it was, that was one of the greatest times of my entire life. It was amazing. You know, being 26 years old and just having these things happen was super cool. But we took it very seriously and we had this very strong vision as to, I think, what we wanted that album to be. And, um, you know, to this day, that record is pretty, you know, I'm not a, big band by any means i'm not a popular band by any means but i think the fans i have i'm really grateful because they're pretty die hard and um they yeah they, they got really big hearts so yeah um that record to them is still pretty important and pretty big and it's still my favorite chain gang record i've ever done cool. yeah i was gonna so, ask you what your favorite one was yeah i think it's that one there's no real way of explaining what it is it's, it's like a electronic punk album. I don't know yeah. what that record was, but I was very much in, in the mindset of not wanting, unlike or unlike I was in Wayward Fire, this time I was like, I don't really want to be anything. I just want to like make yeah. music. And I have all this anger, anger in me. It's coming out, but I'm like, I've also like, I stopped smoking. So mentally I'm getting healthier. Physically I'm getting healthier, all this stuff. And then yeah. it just kind of came out. But then in that process, um, when we finished the record, Rockstar Games reached out and they're like, "Hey, we're in uh, we're in LA. We're at the Roosevelt. If you want to come by." And and I at the time I was living in a place called Beachwood Canyon and was right by the Roosevelt. So I went down there and they're like, "This is what we're doing. We finally tell you, um, we're gearing up to to announce and release Grand Theft Auto Five, Holy and crap. we would really love for one of your songs to be in the game." I was like, "Dude, okay." So we sat the hotel and he's like, "Do you have anything you can play?" I said, like, "Well, I can only play you this. I may actually be getting my memory." off slightly this may have been before we even went to malibu to make the record i can't remember because i only played ended up playing them lola suzanne and sleepwalking um Mm. but for whatever reason uh they originally were like we want to use lola suzanne i was like cool like they're like we just want to be on the radio station in the game and stuff i was like awesome sounds good like this is amazing so it was funny it was like a week before they announced the game, like put the, put the, all the commercials out. But, um, my manager at the time called and was like, was like, yo, like I just got the phone with Rockstar and they want to use sleepwalking now. And they, there's a chance that they actually want it to be like the theme song for the game, meaning in the end credits and in all the commercials. I was like, is what are the chances this happening? He's like, don't get excited. We don't know. Just yeah. And I think it was like two days before the commercial was coming out, which is crazy how these people work. But yeah, I got the call and they're like, sleepwalking's it. They're get ready. Like it's about to happen. So it's nuts. It was nuts. It was to this day, it's still the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. You know, it's like, it was crazy. It was just like the song just took off and did its thing. And, and it, to this day, it's still, you know, it's people still dig that tune. It's still an important song on those people. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun, man. So that that essentially set up for not with Warner Brothers. The the relationship with Warner was fucking terrible. Um, 
and this has nothing to do with Kevin, you know, he was out of the picture by then. Sure. But there's just, you know, working with that label and being with that label, they were a bunch of bozos and it just didn't, they, they dropped the ball on that album. Yeah. Um, but even with that aside, like the, the whole trajectory with sleepwalking and everything happening, it, it was a fun cycle. Um, it wasn't as fun as the Wayward Fire one because I think I wasn't as green to everything and I was now kind of had more expectations. Um, yeah. I think that's when the darkness of touring really kind of started to creep in. Um, and like the mental instability for me started to kind of creep in where like I would get a bit more angry than usual. I would get a bit more anxious than usual. And I was just like, what's happening here? I've never really been like this. So yeah. Yeah. that's when my mindset started to shift a little bit. It's so like how I want to like operate. Yeah. And it took a few years for me to finally set in the stone, but that's when the thought process started. I got you. I got yeah. you. Um, with the success of, of sleepwalking on the video game, when you're playing shows, did you see uh, crowds get a little bigger, maybe sing the song, obviously? Yeah, Is it, no, it just sure. kind of one of those things that just kind of happened overnight type thing? Yeah, in a way. I mean, it was a kind of an overnight thing. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, it was great. We got to like headline shows and like, you know, play to almost sold out shows and stuff. I think we kept touring shows probably would have started selling out but i after essentially like one full touring cycle i was kind of like i'm done like i can't i don't want to do this right now so um yeah no that makes sense i mean it was cool it was awesome it was was rad to see like things kind of start to change yeah i got you i got you um and so let's talk about the next record felt um and you mentioned uh obviously maybe changing the label did you go to go with like caroline is that correct or yeah that was you know i was talking to my brother about this and I think felt, not even think, I know, I just, I don't like that album. Hmm. You know, it was a, it was a, I think I was maybe per, I don't know, maybe consciously or subconsciously, I'm not too sure, but um, I was in a weird place because it was coming out of this, what should have been far more successful album cycle. And then you know, getting out of the Warner deal and basically just like that kind of went up in flames what we, excuse me, fortunately got out and then finding a new label at Caroline. But um, I think I, I went into it thinking like, okay, well, I got to like deliver, you know, I got to like, let me, let me explore my real pop side here. Let me see what I can do. And um, I don't know. If, I just don't know if that was the best idea. I think it maybe mm. led and resulted in a record that was a little subpar. Like, I can go back and listen to all the Changing albums, like, feel pretty good about it. Felt is still one that put it on, I'm like, eh. Yeah. There was no, I think the best way for me to explain it, there, there was no heart and soul in that album. I got gotcha. you. Do you think it was because you were jaded, maybe? Or maybe from, you know, maybe were you just in a, a, a bad spot in your mind at the time? or Probably, every, you know, a bit of everything, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, like, really... Uh, this was the first time I wasn't working with Isom. I worked with Tom Powers of the band The Naked and Famous. He produced the record and co-wrote the record with me. And he's a, I mean, phenomenal musician, producer, dude. Like, it was great. You know, this really has nothing to do with him. I think it was maybe for me. I probably just didn't write the best of songs. I got you. Know? And, like, I'm able to kind of realize that now. And, like, I think there were maybe a couple tracks in the record that still hold up. And I can basically kind of tell off the Spotify numbers and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just, I think most, uh, most musicians probably can look back 
over the years and be like, well, I may have thought that that record was a good idea, but it's yeah. Not. I mean, look at Noel Gallagher, the way they, the way he talks about be here now. It's like, yeah, all he does is just trash that record now. But yeah. back then he, they thought they were making the greatest thing that ever existed. Oh, I know. But yeah. Now yeah. he's just like, he's like, that record's fucking awful. So <laughs> I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that about felt, but it's just, yeah, yeah it's a hard, it just yeah, there I think that's it that's the best way. Yeah, there's just no heart and soul. It just yeah. it just feels very empty to me. No, I got you. I get you. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, since that's your least favorite, I'll ask you the least of my <laughs> questions. <laughs> Let's talk about honeymoon drips. Um, yeah, kinda where did you go record label wise with that? Would you self release it as well? Or like kinda what what Caroline did it fizzle? How kind of go No, there? so I got out of the Caroline deal. Caroline was shitty as well they just didn't do anything for felt um and yeah so it was you know at this point of our teenage risk has already started so teenage risk okay. teenage risk started i got done with the dating forever album cycle and basically was like i need a break from anything chain gang related i just don't want to really focus on that right now so sure. um I went to high school with Marshall. We went to high school together in Colorado. He was like a great or two younger than me. And he, we would play in local bands together as we got older. And then, you know, he ended up moving to LA and he was newer to LA than I was. Um, but I, we, you know, we were, we'd see each other out a lot and start to see each other more often. So I think one day I just kind of hit him up. I'm like, dude, we should just jam. Like, you know, like it'd be fun. Just kind of, we'd never jam together. Like you want to yeah. come over. So, um, yeah, he came over and we just kind of started messing around for a few weeks. And, and um, I don't think we really had anything in mind per se, but we kind of knew what we didn't want. And I think for me, it was like, I didn't want anything serious in, in, the, in the terms of like, or in the sense that I just wanted to have fun with music again. Sure. Because I felt like everything was becoming so business oriented with Chain Gang where I just didn't really enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And, um, yeah, next thing we knew, we just, we had an EP done. We wrote six songs and we were having so much fun making it. And, you know, we ended up like bringing Anthony on board. So like, we were just, we were just like, Hey, why don't we record this EP and just like be a band, like just be a band in the sense where like, if somebody calls and it's like, wants to, uh, you know, they need a band to play a yeah. fucking basement show. Like we can do it. It would just, it was really just for that, um, at first and um so we did the ep and played some shows and did our thing and it kind of just like gradually moved yeah, bigger and bigger yeah it kind of gradually yeah. moved forward so um so you then go to the the so felt so so felt ended and then teenage wrist basically gets signed and yeah, we get exactly. signed we get signed to epitaph and then that's when kind of like the whirlwind of that happens. And it was like, none of us really expected for what happened to happen. Basically we weren't, yeah, I don't know if we were prepared for it. It was just, a. it all happened really fast. I think I yeah. talked, I, I was doing a Dewey at the peer pleasure podcast and I was talking about this, just, it all happened like pretty fast. And I don't know if we were, Prepared for it. And not, not, not fast in the sense of like where we became like a stadium rock band, but just, you know, like having to 
be a band. We had to learn yeah. to become a band. And I, I don't know if we had enough time and or patience for that moment to have done that or achieve that. Um, yeah. But um, we can go back to all that teenager stuff. But we, uh, after, after the, so teenagers doing a thing, we've been touring. And then I kind of was just like, well, I think I kind of just want to make a chain gang record. You know, it's time to kind of make one again. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I started, I started, I, and I obviously knew like I wasn't, I got really lucky. So I, I worked in it with a bunch of different people. Like my good buddy, Nat from 303, he was so gracious and like, you know, he's got a, a studio at his house and he, I would just go over there and we would just hang out for seven, eight hours and just make music and just write together. He'd produce and it was great. And then my buddy, Jason Suito was a great producer. He was in that band, Sir Sly. Um, who else did I work with? John Kunkel for the New Division. So it was kind of just me being able to get with a bunch of friends and it's like, hey, I kind of got this vision. I think I know what I want this record to be. Yeah. You want to work on it with me? Um, and prior to that, like Chain Gang started coming back with the music. I did an EP and um, yeah, so I was kind of like in this mindset of wanting to move forward with it. But I ended up putting together this album that that was pretty strong and I knew... Um, kind of like going back to like what it is that I want and what it is that I don't want. So yeah, um, yeah basically fired management, uh, decided not to re-sign to a label and just did it all myself. I started my own little label and put out everything. And yeah, now here we are three years later since that album's come out and it's it's like the second most popular Chain Gang record. You know, it, it has more streams than Wayward Fire. It's, it's wow. Yeah, it's super cool. So that's like that record ended up being something pretty cool for uh I think like what like the the history of Chain Gang is and and um yeah, it was it was a good place to kind of leave it, basically. Yeah. Like I put out some singles here and there since then. Yeah. But as far as like a full album goes, like I haven't I don't know where I want to go next with this project. Sure. You know, it's been a project since 2006. It's a yeah. a long time. No, it really is. That's cool, though. I mean, at least you have, you know, grown over the years and you've some hits, some misses. But looking back on it, you have, you know, five great records, including, the, you know, and singles as well that you can look back on as a piece of your, your history and who you are. And people get to relate to it. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I hope so. You know, it's like, that's, a, that's the fun thing about music. It's just kind of always there, Yeah, absolutely. you know, unless something really weird and odd happens, but like, yeah, it's just, it's there forever. And it's there for people to just, you know, enjoy and discover and um, yeah, it's there. And, you know, it's, it's funny too, because like starting Heavenward, I've had like Chain Gang fans because obviously Heavenward and Chain Gang are two very different projects. Yes, absolutely. Know, like aesthetically, sonically, everything. They're two very different projects. So, um, I've had a lot of Chain Gang fans kind of get a little nervous. So I go, are you ever going to do it again? I'm like, yes, like pump the brakes here, guys. Just like, don't <laughs> worry. Like Chain Gang can't really break up because it's just yeah. me. It's just you. you know? <laughs> so it's like, it just, it really does just come down to me, like not ever wanting to make another Chain Gang song again. Sure. I don't think I'm at that point. Well, I love the so, new single, the High Wire Days song. I think that's fantastic. Thanks, I absolutely dude. love that song. I do too. I think it's a great song. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and happy that I'm able to like still be able to like make songs like that, that I'm stoked about, but I haven't, I don't think I've been able to really write a song that I think is great since then. So I've kind of just been like, yeah, let's just let, let's just let this chill. And then 
yeah. you know, then comes heavenward. Like my, my, everything in me was kind of starting to push towards that. And I was just like, Oh, I want to, I think I want to make a record like this. So, yeah. No, that makes sense. Here we are. Well, let's, let's uh, step back a little and let's talk about teenage risk. You kind of mentioned uh, it kind of organically came together, which is cool. It's awesome. That you guys were playing around and things started happening and you put the EP out and you got a little buzz. And I want to talk, uh, about Chrome Neon Jesus. I, I, I discovered that record. Um, I don't even know how, to be honest with you. I think I heard it on a Spotify playlist or one of the songs, and I was floored. Um, I really was. I, I just was like, whoa, this is like, I don't know, the production was incredible. I loved the artwork. I loved everything about it, and I gravitated to that record so much. And it was one of my favorite records of that year, for sure, awesome. by far. Um, yeah, let's talk about that record, kind of your thoughts um, on the recording and maybe uh, memories from that time and, and it's writing that record, just kind of what it was like for you. It was a good time. It was a good time, but it was a bad time. You know, like, I, I, I feel pretty good talking about this kind of stuff now only because, you know, me, Marshall, and Anthony have just become, you know, much better friends ever since I left the band. Sure. Um, I think at the time, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, we, we kind of had to become a band basically. Yeah. Like, you know, like we had to, we didn't come from a history of hanging out with each other every single day, doing that kind of stuff. So then you now are in a relationship with these people. You're on the road with them. You're, you're everything you do is involving these people. So it's like you, you see the ins and outs and, um, I think we think we look, I don't ever want to make it and I don't ever want to make it out to be like, it was just absolutely miserable time because it wasn't, we for sure had some fucking bad times. Um, Probably every band does, but I, a lot of it was me. A lot of it was like, I think what I was just maybe going through personally and, and having a lot of like battles, I think with my identity is like, do I want this? You know, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted that, you, you know, especially when Chain Gang first started. And then the older I got, when I started getting that kind of recognition and even from a smaller level, I started to realize, I'm like, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't, it's a, it's a battle that I still have to this day. Sure. You know, because I, I want attention. I want to get the, I want what I'm creating to get attention. And I get bummed out if it doesn't. I pay a lot of attention to numbers and the data of it all. And I'm every single day, it's a curse of mine, but I'm, I check to see how things are performing and this and that. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a curse because it, it can destroy me sometimes, you sure. know, because I, I compare myself too much. Um, yeah. But a lot of that stuff was like my my battles with I think like how I wanted to be perceived and um I think it all kind of like you know it was funny because like Chain Gang Chain Gang didn't tour off of felt I made the decision we did we did two tours leading up to the album release we toured with AFI for a couple weeks and then we toured with Nick and Famous again for like five weeks and then we played one show on the release day in 2017 for that record and then I was just like fuck this like I'm done doing this. I don't want to tour anymore. I don't want to tour like that, where it's like, you're in the van, you've got no team. It's just like, you're doing all the driving. I'm like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, no, I get it. It's really killing me. So I made the decision to stop. 
and then everything happened with teenage risk. So I was like thrown right back in and like, totally. totally. I'm an adult. It was my decision to like, I wrote my name on that contract. You know what I mean? It was like, but I had to look at it like who you have to look at it this way. Most people don't get the one chance to get a record deal. This is my third record deal. So I was like, yeah, no, I don't blame you. I got to do it. You know I what I mean? You. And of course I was, I was passionate about the band. I love the band. I love the music. I thought we wrote some really great music. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was like, it was so, it was just so funny. Cause it was like, we didn't really expect that to happen. Like the, the whole epitaph thing was just one. I remember I went to this, uh, there's this really rad Korean spa in K-Town called We Spa. And it's like, you know, two separate spas, like men's spa and then the women's spa. And then you go upstairs and then there's like the, all the saunas and it's all, that's all unisex, but it's like, you're in these, like, they give you these matching outfits, like a shirt and shorts. It's awesome. It's super great. But there's like a cold sauna and there's a sauna with like all these like clay balls on the ground, just laying them. And like, I would go there and there was a, there's a Korean restaurant inside too. So when you're done doing all your stuff, you just go there, eat a bunch of amazing Korean food. It kicks ass. So I was there. I was just like, I'm going to, I think I got done with some chain gang stuff. I was like, I just want to go relax. I'm going to be spot. And, uh, yeah, I, I got my phone out of the locker and there's a text from, um, no longer my management, but I believe it's still dangerous as management. Um, and yeah, they were just like, Hey, Epitaph want to meet, like, they're really, really interested in like, very, like pretty serious about this. So like, let's get everyone together and go to the office. I was like, holy shit. And wow. of course with, with my background, you know, being, you know, a, you know, punk emo kid growing up, like Epitaph is the dream. So, Absolutely. um, Absolutely. yeah, there was, there was no way of saying no to this in a way, even though there was like, I remember having thoughts like, fuck, am I, am I about to do this again? Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause I wasn't in my twenties anymore. You know what I mean? I was in my early thirties when we signed that record deal. So it's like, no, I get it. If I were 21, I probably would have still been in the band to this day. No, I get it. I've already had like one lifetime of a signed musician and now I'm about to go back and do it again. So not alone and not alone, you know, you're doing it with other people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, maybe I wasn't fully capable of like knowing how to operate that way. But, um, yeah, I had my doubts. I had my fears. But we did it, and I'm so grateful that we did. And um, yeah, we ended up just uh, after all that. I think so. We we had two songs that ended up getting us. So we had the EP that came out. Yeah. And then we had released "Stoned Alone" as a one-off single prior to being signed or even having interest from Epitaph. But we, had, Marshall and I, wrote that song. You know, we put it out. We did it ourselves. So there are technically two versions of that song. Okay. Um, and we put it out. The song did pretty well. It was like getting on Spotify playlists and like people were digging it. Our small fan base were digging it. So we had that song. And then we had, I think, Dweeb, that song. Um, yeah. So when Epitaph was interested and started showing interest, we met with them. We showed them those two songs. And then um, Swallow may have been in there too. I can't remember. But yeah, basically those songs like got us the record deal. They were like, here you go. We're drafting up a deal now. So uh, we have to go in and write the rest of the, rest of the record. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, 
yeah, it was actually a pretty easy process, man. It, it came out, it was like, it was very natural how we did it. It was fun. That's awesome. Um, what's, uh, what are some of your favorite songs from that, from that record? Thinking back, back on it. Um, I think super machine is my favorite song. I remember Marshall showing me that he's like, you know, cause we basically like how it worked was like, we would either all be in a room together and like kind of figure stuff out or like someone would come with an idea and then we would work on that one together. So a lot of times it was me going to Marshall, like, Hey, I came up with this, with this baseline and this, this verse melody, what do you think about this? And then we would bounce and then vice versa. So I was at his house and he started playing the demo. He had demoed out super machine. And, and I think in, if I can remember correctly in his eyes, he wanted to just kind of be like an acoustic song. Wow. Like I immediately heard where it was going to go. I was like, dude, it's gotta do this. This is, this is the chorus. Like let's do this and this. And it was so, such it was such a fun moment i remember and like really we just kind of like really knew like oh we got something pretty cool here but, yeah yeah he crushed it on that you know like he came with so many incredible ideas but um yeah that song i really love i love chrome neon jesus um yeah i don't think there's one song on that record i, just I think it's fantastic songs. through and through absolutely i was gonna say what or ask you what when you finally heard the record at the end of it when it's mastered and mixed, what were your thoughts? And I guess what collectively, I know you can't speak for the other guys in the band, but I, I just want to know your personal thoughts. And then I want to know kind of what you guys as a, as a whole thought. I mean, we were thrilled, you know, we worked with Carlos de la Garza on the album, um, who phenomenal dude, his, he just produced like the latest Paramore record that came wow. out and um, super great guy. He has a studio and a, at his house in Eagle Rock. So it was like a really short drive for us. We didn't have to leave town, which was pretty convenient and awesome. Um, and yeah, we just enjoyed the process. It was a fun process. It was an easy process. And like, we were just fairly confident in ourselves and I think in the music and like what we wanted to kind of like present. And at this point, like I wasn't, I wasn't checked out. I was very, very involved, and like maybe too involved. And I think that maybe led to my, mm. my kind of downfall just, I took, I took it all pretty seriously and not to say the other guys did it. Of course they did. They were so passionate about every detail. Um, but I think the way we maybe viewed certain aspects that I thought were really important, maybe they thought were important, but not didn't see it the way I saw it. That led to clashing. And then sure. When just like any relationship, if you don't talk about things and just build, and I'm bad with that. I sometimes, yeah we'll hold things in because I don't want to maybe approach the situation or deal with what can come sure. by saying, you know, three words. Um, so yeah. So, but like, but what I was saying is like, I was, I, I wasn't checked out. So pretty involved. So, I mean, we toured, we toured pretty good on that record. You know, we did some pretty solid runs. We toured with, uh, I think our first long tour was, us pianos become the teeth and the world is a beautiful place. Oh, nice! So that was really fun. That was actually that was a pretty brutal tour because we had to start. We started the tour in London, Ontario, but for some reason, no one heard us. We sent a few emails to our to the our team. We're like, let's book some shows out to Toronto, and yeah. no one did. So we drove for four days oh, straight just to Ontario, and like right before we. Cross the border, we had to fill up the van 
with gas and the card got declined because we had spent all our money getting out to the start of tour. And I was just like, why does this shit keep happening? (laughs) So crazy. But those are all, you know, I guess growing pains, but um, sure. Yeah, we toured with them. We toured with Citizen, which was great. We did, uh, who else? We, we did Reading and Leeds um, in the UK and did a short UK run, which was amazing. Um, what other tours did we do? What other full US tours? But I can't remember. Oh, th- Thrice in the Bronx. How am I forgetting that one? Wow. That's yeah, that one was awesome. We got to share a tour bus with the Bronx, so that was really nice. Uh, so we were out of the van for that tour, which was great. I'm sure it was. Um, I'm sure and it was, was fun to share a bus with the Bronx. That was just, yeah. I love those guys. Really great dudes. Um, yeah. So man, I mean, it was, it was fun. And we, I, I felt like we were very, you know, we were very strong and, and, and uh, we were really in our fucking game, man. Like, Oh, absolutely. We, we were doing it. Um, but you know, it's also one of those things too. It's like, I had a lot of expectations. I was like, man, we, people are pumped on this record. You know, I'm watching Citizen play and like they're playing a slow song and people are fucking losing their minds and stage diving. So like, oh yeah, we're going to be that band. We're going to get that. And dude, there were maybe a handful of shows where people actually like moshed and went crazy. So most times people just sit there and stare at us. And I'm like, mm. what's happening? Like, what yeah. are we doing something wrong? And that starts the motors in my head again. And I'm just like, so all this stuff kind of started building up and like, uh, even though I was in my early 30s, I was younger. I'm 37 now. I know how to deal with a lot of that kind of stuff. But sure. I think, like, you know, they don't teach you this kind of shit in school, you know? No, like, they don't. When they you don't. sign a record deal, and like, when you start a band, they don't teach you this stuff either. Like, you don't, they don't prepare you for a lot for of life. struggles for you might kind of face. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, dude, it, 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 was, it was so awesome. I'm still so proud of it. And... You know, I I think by the time we were doing the the Counting Flies EP, like by the time we were recording that, um, I actually talked to Marshall about this. Like I was pretty checked out. I was yeah. like, because usually I remember Crumb on Jesus when we were in the studio, even like writing the drum, like, you know, when Anthony was writing the drum parts and we were like doing stuff, I was just like, you know, staring at the kit being like, let's try this, let's try this. So I was like meticulously trying to like see everything happen. With the Counting Flies EP, like, I was involved in the writing and everything, of course. But then, like, when we were recording it, I kind of just recorded my parts. I was like, I'm out. So I just, like, would leave. And then, like, you know, it was it was super weird. So then we did, like, some shows. And we did, like, a two-week run with Basement and nothing. And, like, I think I secretly knew that that was it. So, I, like, I yeah. really enjoyed that tour. I had a really great time. Um, and then, yeah, after that tour... I just decided to leave. I was like, I can't get, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do it. Yeah. So they were understanding. They were really understanding. Um, I think there was a lot of shit we never talked about. Sure. Um, prior to me telling them I want to leave. But yeah, it just, it happened. And then I think we were chill. And then it was so, so we laugh about this now. Um, I don't know what happened with like the, with the announcement, they were like planning the announcement. Basically, I told them I'm I'm done with the band. So yeah, months go by, and then they everyone hits me up, and they're like, "Hey, we have to like make an announcement. Like, we we wrote this on your behalf." And I was just like, "Hey, like, I think I said something. I was just like, look, can I write it? Like, I'm leaving the band. Can I write it?" And then that caused something to happen, and we got in this huge fight. And I basically was just like, "Fuck it, I don't give a shit what you say. I'm done. Like, just just 
yeah. post whatever the fuck you want. I'm out. Peace. So that was when we kind of didn't speak for a year plus. Sure. Um, I wasn't fond of them. They probably weren't fond of me. Um, but at the end of the day, there were no real reasons why. I think we just, we were all just confused. Yeah. If that makes sense, you know, but um, I, I sound like a broken record now, but like, I'm so grateful that all that happened because like, we've become such better friends since and like actually become buddies like we're but like i love those dudes so much like you know marshall had such a big part of this heavenward album anthony and i talk all the time like i'm so proud and happy of like what they did with that band too you know what i mean yeah. like because at the end of the day it's my baby but i that baby grew up and i had to let it go yeah I um, so there's i'll always feel passionate about that band that name what it was, what the past was, it'll I'll always be passionate and um, not possessive at all. Like not in that sense. Not, I, I really, that took a while. I had to learn to let go. You know, I remember sure. when I, when I left, I like, I like blocked them on Instagram and stuff. Cause I didn't want to see anything. I don't want to like, you know, it was very, it was like a breakup. Like I just didn't want to, yeah. I don't want to be notified about anything. Like I couldn't, I don't want to hear the new music. It was just, it was super weird. And um, it took work for me to kind of get to that point. And I remember finally, like, finally seeing them live with movements at the House of Blues Anaheim. Like, this was maybe a few years ago. Um, I was so nervous, man. I was just like, so nervous. Like, I you know, what am I going to do here? Like, this is so weird. Like, I'm going to watch Marshall sing the songs that I, you know, what's happening. Yeah. And then like, I was watching it. I would just got so emotional, in, like the best way possible. I was just like, fuck yes. Like, I love these dudes. This sounds incredible. looks incredible. Like, and then all that anxiety was just gone. Cause I had to like face my problem. I had to face yeah. my fear basically. Um, so yeah, dude, look at the end of the day, I'm stoked on what we did. I think we made a pretty rad record. I love that people still talk about it. I love that five years later, I'm still getting questioned about it. Um, it's, I don't live in the past. I yeah. definitely learned to not do that in my life, even though I'd like to reminisce, but it's like, you know, you move forward, you grow, you got to progress. That's that. Yeah. But the fact that like people still talk about this record and is, is, a uh, it's super cool, super flattering. And hey, maybe one day we'll all play a show together, you know? Well, maybe cool. one day we'll do a 10-year show. Who knows? <laughs> that's awesome, man. It's well, like I said, I, I just think it's a fantastic record. And I'm that stoked that you got to be a part of a part of that. And that's something that, again, uh, people, it influenced people's lives. And it's cool that you're, you know, on the trajectory is still making great music. So that's that's really awesome. Awesome, man. That's, that's kind of you. Yeah, man. I, well, I really mean that. Um, let's talk about Heavenward, man. Uh, I think this is a progression of Teenage Rest in a, in a weird way, you know, just, uh, and I mean, and I mean that in, you know, a respectful way. Like, I just think you are going a different route, but it's very similar to, to Teenage Rest, but it's also completely different from Teenage Rest, mm -hmm. which I love. Um, let's talk about Heavenward and let's talk about the Pyrophonics record that what comes out tomorrow, right? Yeah, it comes out in a few hours. That's I got some shit to do still. I'm like, I woke up this morning. I was like, oh no, I didn't make any of the visualizers for YouTube. Fuck. So like, I got to. <laughs> well, like, I'm sorry, I'm. Uh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. No, no. I'm like, I've got three more to do. It's gonna take me 30 minutes. We're good. Um, but yeah, dude. Yeah, the Heavenward record comes out in a few hours, and I'm 
really excited about it. And I'm, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. Cause like, obviously there's still, you know, I was, I was, I was telling you this, I still care about how everything's presented. I still take this seriously, but this isn't my everything anymore. Like music isn't my everything. It's like, I don't, I don't do it to survive. I don't do it for these things anymore, even though there are still business aspects to it all. Sure. And like, you know, I, I, I'm still str like strategic about everything and sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying with that, you know, but like, this project was really just for fun. You know, it, it started after, you know, started in the, in the pandemic, but like basically kind of finally come to terms and be like, damn, I miss making rock music. Like I listen to rock music. It's my favorite genre. It's all I, you know, everything rock focused. So I'm like, I miss it. Like I'm just going to start writing some songs. So, um, yeah, I did. I wrote the song whole in 2020 did it with my buddy Chris Lorenz who's an awesome producer and writer but then right before then Marshall and I patched everything up and then when that happened I reached out to Anthony just like a, you know I apologized for a lot and we patched things up and it was just awesome so I'm not you know you fast forward a few months later I'm not doing this thing and I hit up Marshall it's just like you want to throw a guitar solo on here man like it needs yeah. something in the bridge he's like fuck yeah I'm down so did it that kind of opened up our working relationship again. And, um, you know, it was cool because we had like this talk and I really had this too for the Pyrophonics album, but it, I kind of established it well before because I was like, listen, like we obviously write similar sounding music because we were in a band together. Like if, if you left now and started your own, another band, like people are going to say it sounds like Teenage Wrist. And if I'm leaving Teenage Wrist and decided to write more rock music, kind of sound like Teenage Wrist because I was the singer. I, sure, you know, equally wrote the songs. Like, it's going to sound like it. It's, you know, there, there, there's no arguing that. But I remember going to Marshall and being like, look, I want to wholeheartedly respect your creative process because, like, I my biggest fear is me coming to you with a heavenward song and being like, what would you think about guitar? And then you giving me a riff that could be the most potentially the most iconic teenage wrist riff, you know, like, I don't want to take that away from you. I don't want to, you know, carry that weight and have it burden me. So like, it was this, this, this space that I really wanted to respect mainly because I felt like I had grown so much and him and I had grown so much. And so, it, you know, we've grown separately, we've grown together. And I wanted to really, cause I cherish his friendship. I cherish sure. him as a human being. I cherish Anthony. I want to make sure like, if we are going to work together on the separate level, but together, like, are we good? Because I don't want, I don't want to jeopardize that, you know? Um, no, that makes sense. And it was great. Everyone was on the same page. It was amazing. So yeah, the first few heavenward songs, like, Anthony played drums on them and then like he helped I played drums on them so he helped like engineer the drums and record it it was just really fun and then um and then yeah you kind of you kind of move forward a few years later and I and um here I am now making make made an album so um yeah it comes out tonight and I'm very stoked about it I'm very proud of it um it was it was cool because you know I've talked about this before but like since it is a solo project, I feel like I need to be in, not be in control. Like I got, I got to steer the ship. So sure, it was my goal to essentially, you know, if I'm when I'm working with these outside writers, whether it's Marshall, 
whether it was my good friend Austin from the band Deer Boy, um, I want to present them with essentially a finished song. Like, okay. this is everything. Here are the melodies, here are the lyrics, here are the structures. It's written on the bass or it's written on the guitar, but it's just the rhythm guitars only. Like, what would you put down guitar-wise? You know, so it was like this really cool, fun process that though, like, I had to you know, really be responsible for doing that. And I put that pressure on myself. Cause I'm like, if this is my project, I want to do that. Um, I was open. I was totally open to like them just doing what it is that they want to do and like really respect that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was so, I was so lucky too. That they wanted to do that. You know, yeah, like absolutely. Fact that they wanted to lend me their talents and like work together. And like, I'm so grateful that that can happen. Like I'm, yeah, I'm still so grateful for them. So like, this isn't, you know, they should be in the room talking with me about this record too. You know, it's like, this is, I feel like it's our record in a way. It's like, yeah. I made an Instagram post a few weeks ago. It was just basically saying like, this, this project is just like a collaboration between friends. That's all, all it really is. You That's know cool. what I mean? Um, but I'm really proud of it. I think it's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's a super cool record. And I, going back, I did have like necessity just cause I just wanted to do it. Um, but I feel really grateful that I'm like, I'm, I'm able to do that and like carve out time in my life and like, it's great. you know, make an album and put it out and have people even give a shit. That's like, that's the crazy part too. Like after all this time, people, people still care about what I do. And I think that's, that goes back to the whole, like not wanting to be a rock star thing because like, even though I, it's so amazing to see people care and I want people to care, like I I just always like want to be viewed as like just a normal dude who happens to make music. I never, I don't want my music to be my identity anymore. Sure. So like, I, there's even still like a battle with this record release. Cause like, I want to care. And by caring, I need to present it a certain way and, and promote sure. a certain way and do all that. But then does that now lead me down the road where this, you know, identifies me and like, I don't, that's, what I'm afraid of. So it's this constant balance. You got a double edged sword. Like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got to constantly remind myself, but um, yeah, I'm stoked on the record. I'm stoked for people to hear it tonight. It's like, I think it's, I don't know. I, I didn't send it to you, did I? No, but I would love for you. Fuck. Should have. Well, okay. at this point, no, I'll just wait till midnight. <laughs> you're going to wait. You're going to wait. Um, no, I'll send it to you. I don't care. Um, I should have sent it to you. Um, no worries. But yeah, dude, I think it's, it's definitely, it's, you know, you know, I, the people who have heard it have said it's like the most like cam record they've ever heard. That's great. What a compliment. Pretty cool to me. Yeah. And I think they're right. I think it just, it's kind of mean in a nutshell. And, um, <clears throat> I think I maybe just looked at like, what if I never left Teenage Risk? Like what would I write, you know? And I didn't have that in mind. Like I need this to sound like Teenage Risk. That was, that yeah. wasn't it. It, it then goes, it again goes back to what I was talking about. Just like, that's how I wrote these rock focused songs this is how I write the song. So like, it's going to sound like that. Um, sure. Sure. <clears throat> but I definitely want to kind of, I, there were some, we took some different approaches to like the structure. Zach Tush produced the record. He, you know, the last couple of years he did, he just did the, the Zulu record that came out this year, oh, nice. the initiate record that just came out. So all really great albums. Um, and he kind of really pushed me into like a different direction and kind of was like, let's try this instead of this. And it took 
me getting used to a little bit, but at the end of the day, like we've worked together in the past. So I had this trust sure. um, to work with them, but yeah. So we'll see if the world digs it, man. <laughs> I bet they do. I bet they do. What's your favorite song on the new record? Mm. There's a song called Tangerine, which I really love. And there's also a song called uh, Pneumatic Fly, which nice. I really love. But I, you know, I dig them all. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of stoked. Your baby, it's your new baby. I know. Yeah, it's your baby. But it's like, dude, you know, in a few hours, it's ever, it's everyone. It's, it's no longer mine. It's just like, yeah. all right, that's it. People are going to talk about it for a day, and then it just, yeah, it floats away. That's it. Um, are you planning on doing any touring with this, or any shows, or anything like that? I don't think I'll tour. I'll definitely do some shows. Like we, we're playing June twenty, so next Thursday. So a week from today is our very first show. Oh, we're cool! At, and that was a that was a anxiety fueled nightmare for me. Because I, you know, I haven't played a live show with my own project since two thousand nineteen. Like I've like played shows with three hundred three as their bass player, but not like chain gang at the plate till since 2017 i stopped touring in teenage race in 2019 so yeah it's been a while it's been a while so like got off of the show i said fuck it let's do it and then i had to like put the band together yeah break the songs down get them stems and like fortunately they're all friends and like everyone's down just have a good time and play but like going into the rehearsal i was just Oh my god, I was so anxious and like so nervous. Just like, what am I doing? Why? Why am I putting myself back in this situation again? Um, but once we really started to kind of jam, and by the second rehearsal, it was like, fuck yes! Like this is awesome. Like this feels great. Like if we were on tour for a month, like we would sound fantastic. So like, I think we're pretty good here. So yeah, I'm stoked. It's like the goal is essentially just kind of have these group of friends who. I think I kind of all in the same position as me. We're all like a little older and kind of got our lives, but we like playing and we like being involved. Totally. In music. And totally. If a really cool opportunity or fun opportunity presents itself, like it, it's amazing to know that they're there and call them like, Hey, you guys want to play a show in two weeks? Sure. Let's do it. Get a yeah. rehearsal and go play the show. So, and in the time since Heavenward started, I've had a lot of really cool bands that I love hit me up. Be like, yo, we're doing like LA, San Diego, Orange County you want to come open. And I'm like, fuck, like, I'm not there yet. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm at that point, but now we are. So like, to me, it'd be great. Just do a weekend of shows, like just sure. Southern California. But once people start being like, here's, you know, four weeks, you're going through this random spot in Illinois and like this random spot in Kansas. I'm just like, I'm good. Yeah, no, I, I get it. No, it makes yeah. a lot. It makes complete sense. I think, the older you get, um, you know, you want uh, stability and, and being at home and being comfortable and not being in a van, slugging it, you know. Yeah. If there were a bus. <laughs> That'd be not? a different story. <laughs> there are a bus and there's money, which there isn't. Yeah, why yeah, not? Totally. Why not? So I know you cannot tell the future, and I know you kind of just mentioned maybe some things, but tell me what, what you've got in the future. Like, what 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 does your life look like uh, coming up, other than the release of this record, and kind of what are you going to continue, obviously, doing the artwork and just and playing any other records or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I, like you said, you can't really tell, tell the future, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm... I'll be 38 next month, which is 
kind of a hard pill to swallow. And I think I'm re- I'm like realizing that. I've never really been afraid of getting older. I've always felt like I'm sure. You know, but I'm 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 18. I still feel that way. Um, and my wife is very encouraging too. She's like, I'm like, look, I got these gray hairs coming in. Like, <laughs> Fucking embrace it. Like it's great. I'm like, yeah. Okay, okay. So. I don't know, man. I think it's just continuing to just try and be as happy as possible and keep just doing shit. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's all in time. I, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And, um, just, yeah, I get it, bro. I yeah. What about you? I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. Well, what, do you, what, what are you doing next? You well, know? I, I have a good you got gig. An answer for that? Yeah, I actually do. I have a great gig. I have an amazing wife. I have a, Newer home, I can't complain. I have a great job, um, man. I and my my kids are adults now, so literally, you know, I mean, life's not perfect, but I definitely am blessed, and I can't complain. So, yeah. you know, I'm just gonna keep working and keep doing this podcast and, and talking to awesome people like you. And I don't know, just see where it goes, and and uh, just enjoying what I what I the blessings that I do have. So, oh, I love that, man. Yeah, man, dude, this yeah. has been so cool, man. I, it's been so awesome to catch up. It's been so long, but. I'm super stoked for you. I, I truly mean what I said. I, I love everything you've done. I think it's fantastic, and I wish you well. And I, I hope I hope it continues for. And I can't I can't wait to see the reception for Heavenward. So, uh, dude, thank you, man. Thanks so much for wanting to talk to me. You know, yeah, man. I think it's rad we got to chat and like kind of catch up this way. Even though we were like, you know, we've been talking on Instagram for a little while now too. Yeah. Like, the fact that like we can just kind of see each other face to face and you know if you're ever in california man you hit me up absolutely actually my kids live out there uh they live in uh they were living in glendale for a little bit so yeah i definitely will i I go up there every once in a while but i'll hit you up for sure yeah hit me up next time you're in glendale dude i mean that's i like driving i'm like weird i mean i think you have to kind of like driving if you live in la um yeah but i like it dude so if you're in glendale hit me up i will yeah i would love to five minutes with no traffic easy Dude, what an awesome conversation. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it, and, and I'll let you know when I post this, but it, it was a cool awesome. hang, man. Thanks for All having right. me. I appreciate All right, buddy. it. I'll talk to you in a second. All right. Okay. okay. See you, man. Hey, thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. I really appreciate your support. Um, add me on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like at the Room of the True Cast. Like and subscribe if you'd like as well. You know the drill. Uh, thank you, Cam Teen Mohajer, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it was cool to hear those stories and, and catch up. We hadn't talked to each other for quite a while and uh, just awesome to uh, reconnect. So uh, check out the new Heavenward record, Pyrophonics. It's incredible. Uh, man, he did a fantastic job on this record. Uh, thank you again. And I've got some amazing artists on the horizon. Man, nostalgia, guys, is a heck of a drug. <laughs>